You are about to listen to Where Your Treasure Is, the podcast where faith and finance meet. Please note that the views expressed are our own and in no way represent any form of financial advice. And remember, investments can go down as well as up. Happy listening. Okay, Simon, I'm looking for your advice on something. Uh, anything in particular? I'm, I mean, I'm very good at hairstyles, for example. <laughs> as much as I would love your wisdom on hairstyles, and actually, this might fall into the wider category, I always struggle with budgeting for big ticket items. So sometimes that may include a haircut, <laughs> but more frequently, I'm thinking about things like birthdays, Christmases, weddings, holidays. How on earth do I plan my finances so that those things don't come as a massive shock? I suppose that's the very starting point. These things shouldn't really come as a surprise to us. I mean, I've got into the rhythm now of recognizing that every year Christmas happens. (laughs) Every year there appear to be an awful lot of birthdays of people in the family or friends. And I'm not always the most organized when it comes to things like birthdays, but they do happen. And you want to buy presents for people. Weddings, yeah, maybe you're not quite sure when it's going to happen, but there's going to be some. So I think the first thing is just to recognize these things do happen. And so what can we do to not be surprised by them and certainly not put into financial shock when they happen? Does that make sense? Yeah, that's great. And I suppose if we're going to not be surprised by them, because as you say, Christmas does happen every year, believe it or not, then... I think before we get into the practicalities, there's also a question about how much we should spend versus perhaps societal expectations about those events. So do you have any thoughts on, as a Christian, how much money we should be spending or shouldn't be spending on these big ticket items? That's quite deep, very quickly there, Bex. Let me give you a little cultural context here. I'm a fan of the writings of J.R.R. Tolkien and The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. I love the concept in The Hobbit. And if you haven't read the books, here's what happens. On your birthday, if you're a hobbit, you give presents to other people. I think if that was the mindset, it's my birthday, I'm going to give you presents. We would approach it very differently than the worldly approach, which is it's my birthday, you give me presents. And the hobbits go even further. They don't buy stuff. They just give stuff from their house. Oh, I've got this lovely candlestick. I think you'd like it. Here, have it. Happy birthday from me. I think it's a very generous approach to birthdays. Now, see, that's not the world we live in. We're not hobbits. And we do want to be generous. But I have certainly got caught out at times, especially with my kids and with friends of my kids. How much do you spend on them? What is the right amount? And I think we do run the risk of getting into a keeping up with the Joneses scenario. We must spend more money on other people because it makes us look good. I don't think that's really right. I know one thing that I found really helpful as I became an adult was that we revisited how we did Christmas as a family. So rather than buying presents for every family member, 
we do a family sweepstake. So you get two people, one person is a £30 present and the other person is a £10 present. And not only does that mean that the budget is capped for a certain set of people, but it also adds a bit of mystery and spice into who is going to give you a gift or who you're buying for. I think sometimes it almost makes me put in more effort into those gifts because I know I may be the main person giving that person a present. But where I definitely find it trickier is when it comes to my niece and nephews because the overwhelming heart response is that I want to spoil them. I want to give them everything I possibly can. But I wonder if that's actually a helpful attitude or whether I need to rein that back. It definitely comes with some risks. I remember having a conversation when my wife and I were going through marriage preparation. This tells you how long ago it was. And when you're getting married, you're bringing together two families effectively the traditions of two families the expectations of two people who have grown up in very different worlds and one of the conversations we had to have was what will christmas look like in the glazier family the glazier household so i asked her what are the kind of traditions that just make christmas for you and here are the ones that make christmas for me and then we amalgamated two family traditions and we came up with one new tradition And it might involve things like stockings and certain gifts that you must give every year. I mean, for my wife, it's not Christmas without a chocolate orange. The good thing is that that's relatively cheap. And it's cheaper, actually, Bex, if you buy it before Christmas. So you've got to have a wee stash of chocolate oranges. Insider tip. Yeah, just note that. But in the wider family, what I've begun to notice is for some families, the more money you spend at Christmas, that is the reflection of how much you love somebody. Whereas in others, it's how much thought you put in to the present. Not necessarily how much it cost, but how much effort you put in. Some of the best presents can be incredibly cheap, but you just know you nailed that present. You understand me. You thought about me just in the right moment. And those are the presents you keep more so than just the ones that cost a lot. So let's say that we are in a situation where we're facing potentially that value clash. For some people, they feel most loved when they either have spent a large amount of money or they know someone else has spent a large amount of money on them versus perhaps somebody who just needs to know they've been really thought about and really seen. If you are facing those two different sets of values, how would you approach a conversation to perhaps reach some sort of middle ground between the two? I think what you said there, how would you approach a conversation? That's really interesting because most people don't have the conversation. They just do what they think is right. Can you imagine this scenario? I've had it. You won't have had it yet, Bex. Along comes your teenage child. Dad, can I get a new iPhone? Oh, that's pretty expensive to be honest. Yeah, but everybody else is getting one, Dad. Hang on. I know your friend's parents. And we've had that conversation, and I know they're not all getting a new iPhone, so no, you can't play that game with me, thank you very much. It's about communication, not just with the giver or receiver of the gift, but sometimes in a wider context. I remember having a conversation with my sister many years ago, just saying, how much are we going to spend on our nieces and nephews? How much will I spend on your kids? How much will you spend on my kids? And when do we stop? And so as a wider family, for example, we agreed we're going to buy presents for the kids up to age 18. And then they'll get a nice something, a memorabilia, something that will last a bit longer. And then it stops. But you have to have the conversation. And what I didn't want to do 
you know, let's start with a high number and make you feel guilty. Actually, no. We all have to go through the same thing of budgeting and planning and spending and receiving. And I don't want to receive loads of gifts just for the sake of it. I'd prefer that as a family or as a community, we come to the position of recognizing what are we celebrating here? Is it Christmas? It's not just about presents. Is it your birthday? Is it a wedding? I like it when you get some guidance sometimes. Like you said with your family sweepstake, a £30 present, a £10 present. Right, I've got to work hard on that. And actually it helps you to budget for the future. I've got actually quite a lot of nieces and nephews. So I don't want to spend £100 on each of them, thank you very much. If I had one, it might be different. But then I might be the generous uncle. Everybody else gives small presents. My love for somebody shouldn't be reflected just in how much the gift was. There are other ways as well to show love and affection. What you've said there sparked a Bible passage in my head, which is the part of the Bible where Jesus is talking about how our father wants to give us good gifts. And so he says, would your earthly father give you a snake? No. How much better are the gifts that your heavenly father wants to give you? And while I'm perhaps slightly taking it out of context, I'm reminded that actually the gifts that our good father gives us are not always monetary. We are not showing love by our father based on how high the salary we earn is. And in the same way, perhaps sometimes we need to reset our expectations and to assess actually how are we showing love and is the best thing to pour as much money or perhaps more money than we have on someone or is there a better way? Just to give some Bible context there, Luke 11.11 or Matthew 7.10. I've just Googled that for you there, Bex. You're absolutely right. I would far prefer someone to say to me, for example, hey, Simon, I noticed last time you were in the house that you commented about this thing that you liked. Here you go. Have it. It's my gift to you. Rather than, oh, I had to buy something. So I went onto Amazon and I Googled cheap gifts for middle-aged men with no hair. And I've got you this head waxing kit. Great, thanks. It is about the thought. And actually, the thought can help us reconnect. I think especially at Christmas with why we give gifts. I try to teach my kids and my nieces and nephews. It's not all about the presents. We know that academically. We know that spiritually. But we still get sucked into it. And as a financial planner, sometimes I can use the financial planning, the budgeting process as a safety net, shall we say, to stop me from getting too financially enthusiastic and making it all about the money and all about the presents. Excellent. I would love to dig into a little bit more of the practicalities around that then, particularly as I've now just had to return your Christmas present <laughs> of a head waxing kit back to Amazon. So... If I know, as I do, that Christmas happens every year, there are X numbers of birthdays, and perhaps I anticipate a certain number of weddings or holidays, how can I plan my budget so that I'm not surprised by these things financially and that I'm prepared for them? Okay, I reckon we could take this in a number of stages. Let's start off with the person who is surprised. Or to be honest, there are those people who have no option apart from to be surprised financially, which is you, you reach the beginning of December, you realize that Christmas is on your doorstep, you've got just a few weeks to plan, and there's no money available. 
And in that moment, you might end up saying, well, all I have to do at this moment is borrow. I'm going to use my credit card. I'm going to use a personal loan. I'll go into overdraft. I'm going to borrow money because it's really important to me to show those I love that I'm thinking about them at Christmas. And so I will go into debt in order to make them feel loved. Now, in many respects, that's a very thoughtful and kind approach, but it's not one that's really sustainable. There were some stats I came across a few years ago, a huge number. I'll not pretend to remember what the number was. Lots of people enter Christmas this year still paying off last year's debt, last year's credit cards for Christmas. It's probably the same thing with holidays. It's probably the same things with birthdays through the year. They never quite get ahead of the curve. Now, we've spoken about debt in the past, Bex, and it's my belief that a Christian principle would be if you can avoid debt, then you should. And if you are in debt, you should try and get out of debt as soon as possible. So I reckon there's a few things you can do to go from this position of Christmas means credit cards to being extremely organized and more prepared and certainly financially resilient. So, okay, if I go through a few of those with you? Please do. Okay, number one, anticipate it. So we thought about that. We know it's coming and I'm going to think about it in advance. Now that might mean things like oh, I know I'm going to have to buy Bex a birthday present or a Christmas present or a wedding present or whatever it's going to be, a housewarming present. I'm not going to wait until the day before. I'm going to have in my awareness as I'm perhaps shopping in town or I'm even browsing on the internet or I see something in my house and I think, oh, she would love that. I'm going to remember it. I'm going to buy it in advance. I'm going to make a note of it. I'm even going to wrap it so that that brilliant feeling of, oh, I've got to go to Bex's. Oh, I remember. I've already got a present sorted for her. Here it comes. Doing that can actually save you money. You know, the things that probably cost less, like your chocolate oranges, not bought just before Christmas, but also you get to spread out the cost and it doesn't all happen in just those few weeks. So number one, anticipate it. I was so organized, Bex. I've got five points and they go A, B, C, D, E. Are you ready for this? Wow. Okay, A, anticipate it. B, budget it. If you think to yourself, I've got Christmas coming up, how much can I afford to save? Pick a number. I can afford to save £20 a month, £50 a month. It will vary depending on the person's circumstances. But that's how much I'm going to choose to spend this Christmas. I'm going to save it up. And when I get to December, I know I'll have a chunk of money set aside. And then I'm going to allocate that money to the people that I need to spend it on. If there's one person, they get more. And if there's 10 people, they get less. But by doing that, By budgeting, you are controlling your own spending. Now, it might be that you have to communicate with those you're giving to why you've spent that amount of money. If you want to be really brave, and this is not easy, you might even say to somebody, I'm really sorry, but this year I can't afford to buy as much as I have in the past. Or even, you know what? I'm trying to get ahead of the curve here. So this year's present is a bit smaller. Hopefully next year it'll be a bit bigger. But almost I give you permission not to overspend on me. I'm not trying to be cheap, I'm trying to be honest. And just to be super practical on that, if I'm setting that money aside, what are the ways I can do that really well so I don't accidentally spend it? I reckon it depends on your approach to finances. You might have a bank account where you can have a separate pot and you create the Christmas pot and you move £20 a month into that pot and it builds up over the year. You might have a spreadsheet and on your spreadsheet, You have money set aside for Christmas and for holidays and for a new car. And you know in your head that there's a thousand pounds in the bank, 
but you also know that only £100 of that is for Christmas. You can go practical and you could put cash in an envelope. Now, we generally say it's not wise to put lots of money in cash and leave it around the house, but okay, interest rates are going up right now. You might get 2% interest in the bank these days. That's pretty good. So over a year, £100 in the bank is going to make you £2 of interest. Woohoo! I think being organized is worth £2. So practical ways, just keep it separate in whichever way suits you best. Okay? Excellent. So A, anticipate. B, budget. C, cut down on credit. So if you're this person who's had to spend on credit, see if you can get this concept. You end up after Christmas and you've got a £500 credit card bill for Christmas presents. And you think, okay, I don't want that to happen next year. I want to save enough money that eventually I'll be able to buy things in cash. I'm going to set aside this year £75 a month. And over the year, you'll save up £900. That's brilliant. But actually, the £75 starts paying off your credit card debt. And it takes you six, seven months to do that. And then you've got £75 set aside for a few months. And you get to Christmas and you've got two or £300. Oh, it's not quite enough. Hey, but that Christmas, you might only spend two or £300 on your credit card. So when you keep saving your £75 a month, it's gone in two or three months. Fantastic. And now you've got the rest of the year to save up. And maybe two or three or even four years down the line, you have gone from being in credit card debt, paying for Christmas, to having cash set aside in advance to pay for Christmas. Now, you can actually do that with big things. Typically, buying a car. Can you imagine getting to the stage where you need to replace your car and you've set aside five or 10 or 15,000 pounds because you've been diligently setting money aside, paying off debt first of all, a lot of wisdom in that, but slowly getting to the stage where you've got not debt, you've got savings. And then you're ahead of the curve. So cut down on the credit, ABC. Number D. Number D, how can you have number D? That makes no sense. You know what I mean. Okay, this one I've called delayed gratification. Now, you probably don't know what that means in a financial context, but have you come across this phrase, buy now, pay later? All the time. What does it mean? It means that you get the item straight away and that you don't pay for it until weeks or months down the line. And typically that incurs a greater cost in the long run. And why does it incur that greater cost? Because of interest. <laughs> That'll do. Absolutely. <laughs> You have to pay someone to borrow money. Ah, some people will say there are ways of getting interest-free loans. There's online sites that will let you buy now, pay later, and still be interest-free. Haha, that's free money. I'll do that. Yes, except you end up spending more money, and therefore the retailer you're buying from ends up with more pounds in their pocket, less pounds in yours. So even interest-free money can end up costing you more. But whether or not you pay any interest, you really need to think carefully about taking on buy now, pay later purchases, because it's the same approach as we talked about earlier that creates problems for people with their Christmas spending. I'm going to buy the Christmas presents now and I'll pay them off on my credit card over the rest of the year. It might be a new fridge or furniture or a holiday or a car. Buy now, pay later. Because I deserve it, I get this thing now. But I now have to pay for it over the coming months, even years, sometimes decades. And we have spoken about good debt. 
buying a house might be considered good debt, sometimes buying a car, but there is bad debt. I don't need this thing, but I want it now. And you pay for the privilege. Okay. Delayed gratification is exactly the opposite of that. I'm going to pay for something now, but not enjoy it until later. Now, a great example of that would be a holiday. If you can save up the money, and I'm not saying let's pay for it now with a credit card or with a loan. I'm saying you pay for it now because you've saved the money up. You buy the thing and then you know I'm going to go on holiday in a month or two months or three months. The anticipation starts to build a long way in advance of you actually having the experience. And then you go on holiday and you sit there and you think, this holiday, it feels like it's free because I paid for it months ago. As opposed to, ooh, I will not go out for that nice meal or I won't have that drink at the bar because I can't even afford the holiday, let alone the extras. So delayed gratification says I'm going to pay for it, but enjoy it later. Now, it doesn't work in every situation. I'm not entirely convinced my wife would appreciate it if I gave her a little cube in the shape of a chocolate orange, a beautifully wrapped Christmas present in the middle of September and said to her, just leave that on the side for a few months and you can enjoy it when it's Christmas Day. I'm not sure her patience is up for that, to be honest. You need to know your audience. <laughs> know your audience. Do you right. Okay, so anticipate it, budget for it, cut down on credit, delayed gratification. My last one, an E, I'm calling this one extreme organization. Now, to be honest, this idea comes from my sister-in-law. Big up to you, sister-in-law, if you ever listen to this. She's got a spreadsheet and it's her Christmas and birthday present spreadsheet. Wow. And all her nieces and nephews and children are on the spreadsheet. And it says things like this. Okay, my niece... I'm going to call her Geraldine, is one, it's her first birthday, I'm going to buy her a present, and I'm going to buy her this, goes in the spreadsheet, and she buys it, tick, job done. Obviously, Geraldine's going to be two next year, and then she's going to be three, and then she's going to be four. But with a well-built spreadsheet, she can go, ah, oh, I know what I bought her last year, I'll not buy her that again. Ah, oh, she's going to be five this year. Oh, look, I've got some other people that I bought presents for who were also five in the past. I wonder what I bought them. Oh, I remember that, and that was a good present. Or maybe she spots something and goes, that would be a great present for an eight-year-old boy. Who's on my spreadsheet? And she plugs it in advance. Now, I've got to be honest, Bex. I'm pretty naff when it comes to presents. I'll do it, but I'm not very organized. And I have utter respect for her when she goes, oh, I'll just pull the spreadsheet out and I'll plan my presents in advance. So that is extreme organization. And it takes away the stress. And it also means you haven't got to panic buy, which often means buying A, expensive stuff, B, paying for more postage or delivery costs. And C, probably not a very good present. So those are my five top tips. Anticipate, budget it, cut down on credit, delayed gratification, and extreme organization. So we've got our A, B, C, D, E. I particularly loved extreme organization because I felt purely by knowing someone in my life had a spreadsheet of gifts that I was on. I would feel exceedingly loved just to make the spreadsheet. Never mind whatever comes after that. So that's the first gift. First gift is you're on the spreadsheet. Well done. <laughs> Doesn't cost anything. Hopefully you never get taken off the spreadsheet or else that'd be very sad. Is it like Santa's naughty list? <laughs> well, indeed. We'll find out. So we have practically looked at how do we plan ahead for these things. But I think there's still a bit of a conversation to be had about what is the role of money in these big life events? 
We talked a few episodes ago in season one about how the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And we talked about how we're not just called to give our financial resources, but to give all of ourselves to the Lord. So whether that is our time, our skills, our houses, our hospitality, a whole range of things. So how does that concept fit or how does it look in these big ticket items? Let me give you a, I suppose, a thought that we've had as a family and has worked in the past. I'm going to ask you the same question, Bex, afterwards. There are some people that we love hanging out with, but we just don't hang out with them very often. Lives get busy and trying to coordinate schedules. So some Christmases and some birthdays, we send people a voucher. And the voucher is, we exchange this voucher for a meal with the glaziers or a trip to the cinema with cousins, that kind of stuff. Now, it might still come with a cost. And in fact, just recently, we redeemed a Christmas voucher It's been on our fridge for nine months and we've been waiting for the right opportunity. And we rang up our friends and said, we've got a window of opportunity. We want to exchange our voucher. And they were so chuffed that we had kept this thing for nine months on our fridge that we've promised to do it again. And we love spending time with people. We've mentioned this, I think, in the past. There's a great book, The Five Love Languages. It's by Gary Chapman. For some people, time is vastly more important to them in terms of feeling loved than presence, but not everybody. For some people, it certainly is presence, and there's other things as well. So you said before, know your audience. Now, sometimes the best present we can give is the present of time or the present of service. Can we come and do something for you? That's our gift to you. Doesn't always work for people who are far away. Doesn't always work for people you don't know terribly well. But that's an idea of... Can you give something that isn't just a token gesture that has a pounds and pence price tag to it? Can you give something that is of value because it involves you and you doing something? So what about you, Bex? What ideas have you had in the past of how to grapple with the cost and value of presents? Well, I am very much a words person in the five love languages. And so for me, one of the best presents I ever received was... um, In the build-up to my year abroad, I was going to be living away from home in a different country for the vast majority of a year. And my lovely mum gave me handwritten cards for every single day of the year. So it was a little note I could read every day. Maybe it had a quote on it. Maybe it had a funny memory. Uh, Some of them were just really lovely messages. And every day, particularly if I was having a bit of a down day, I knew I could open this and have a little bit of home. And so for me, that was one of the best presents I've ever received. I know for having little people in my life, having a niece and nephews, one of the things that I do for them every birthday is I write them a letter. Kind of says, this is what your years looked like. These are the things I love about you. This is what I'm praying for you this year. or This is what I think the Lord said as I've been praying for you. And here's a little picture of something that happened this year. And for me, as somebody who both loves receiving words and often expresses myself in that way, it's a way to not only buy them something that maybe is great for that season. You know, they're in the pop-up toy phase. Things are great. 
but that pop-up toy is not going to go with them throughout their later years and certainly not as a teenager or an adult, I strongly suspect. Whereas actually those words, those memories, those funny moments, those prayers are something that will last in the years and weeks to come. Uh, You're so right. We still have on our wall in our house some words that somebody not just gave us when my wife and I got married, but they framed on nice paper with a nice background. And it is art in the purest of senses, but it's also heart. Oh, that was good. Art and heart. Because it's this person's feelings for us in that moment. Now, Bex, taking on board what we've been speaking about, and given what you've just declared in terms of you're a words person, I've just written you a poem. Oh, excellent. This is your Christmas present. So I'm going to say it now. And then your job on Christmas Day is to come back to this recording and remember my Christmas present to you. Delayed gratification. Here we go. Bex, you're a great presenter. You have a mellifluous voice. Thank you for being my co-host. You are my very first choice. Happy birthday. Oh, I meant to say happy Christmas there. (laughs) (laughs) It it doubles up for both occasions. Yes. And I love that you got mellifluous. I can't even say it. (laughs) Mellifluous. Try again. (laughs) Mellifluous. I can't can't say it. Mellifluous. Mellifluous. Nope, still Uh, not right. (laughs) In a a poem. It was lovely. There we go. Enjoy it. And so just as we come towards the end of this episode, I'd love to look at one final aspect, although I don't know how we top that poem which is that particularly around Christmas, we are celebrating the light of the world, the hope for salvation coming to be with us, God with us. And so not only is it an opportunity to show love to people we know, but it's also an opportunity to actually show perhaps how we do life differently or perhaps that our priorities are different and to show the world around us the hope in Jesus. Do you have any thoughts on how you can model that as an individual or as a family and how you can bring hope to perhaps people you don't know? I think it sometimes has to be the regular, repetitive, disciplined and honest outpouring of a heart to say to people, we believe Christmas is more than presents. It is about, yes, baby Jesus, but you know what? He didn't stay a baby and he is how we do things. Maybe sometimes that means actually inviting people into your Christmas. Come with us and celebrate. We're going to have a Christmas concert where we're going to sing carols. We're going to read Bible verses. Come with us to our house on Christmas Day and do things our way. People want to be around you and then they find that the way you do things isn't the way maybe they've been brought up. There's more meaning. I imagine there's many, many more. What about you, Bex? Have you got any ideas of how to bring Christmas to life for those who don't know the Lord like we do? One of the things I was reflecting on was that as a church for several years now, we have given away Christmas hampers every year. And it is just an opportunity where we gather some lovely things that maybe make Christmas. You might put in a chocolate orange, you might put in a game, some crackers, all sorts of things. And then just get to freely give it away. And you can do that as a group of friends, as a couple, as a family. And it's an opportunity, A, to have that conversation with the people who you are creating this amazing hamper with. But one of the things I've always been struck by when I've been involved in giving them away is that people are baffled by the fact you would freely give them this gift. They want to know, what's your angle? What are you really trying to get out of me? And actually, it's an incredible opportunity to just say, we want to bless you at Christmas. Here's a free gift. So that was one of the things that came to mind for me. 
And Simon, I've heard of people who maybe decide to partner with a charity like Tear Fund and buy a goat for a family on the other side of the world rather than giving a present. Or perhaps they decide rather than buying and writing lots of Christmas cards and sending them in the post, due to environmental reasons, they may send an electronic greeting card instead. What are your thoughts on that? I have totally done both of those things. And coming back to one of your earlier points, it's about knowing your audience. There are some people I think would take great offence if I bought them a goat for Christmas and the goat's being given to a family in Uganda. There are other people who would take that and they would stick it on their fridge and it would be there for decades. What I do think is important is that you communicate why you're doing it. And you're not just saying, I ran out of time and I've got this quick present. So here, stick a magnet on your fridge. Instead, you might say this year as a family, we've decided that the money we're going to spend on Christmas is best spent supporting a community on the other side of the world. Our kids have been learning about them in church and they've been sponsoring a child. So actually, we're going to give you a share of a cow. You're getting its left leg. But people then begin to see how we live our lives a little bit differently. And it's not our job to convince them that we're right. But it's part of the story that says we treat this Christmas thing, this birthday thing, this money thing a bit differently. And it might just help them on their journey of faith. Well, I can't think of any better way to land this episode. So Simon, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts on how to plan for big ticket items, but also actually just thinking through some of the emotion and perhaps communication that needs to go around those moments as well. Well, Bex, thanks for the conversation. This has been a little bonus episode. So if you're listening and thinking, wow, that was a really, really rubbish way of doing where your treasure is, hey, just tell us. We need to know. But if you like the kind of to and fro of Bex and I having a slightly more informal conversation, then why not throw in a topic, a question, a comment, and you might find us replying to you about what you're asking. What's the email address? What's the Instagram, Bex? The email is where your treasure is at freerangepodcasting.co.uk and the Instagram is at where your treasure is podcast. We would absolutely love to hear from you. Well, if I don't speak to you before, Bex, uh, happy Christmas. Thank you. You too. Uh, Happy birthday. Uh, Maybe happy Easter, just to save those up. Is that okay? That's wonderful. I will come back to this episode several times for those greetings and also for my wonderful poem. No worries. We'll see you next time on Where Your Treasure Is. Goodbye from me. Bye from me. This podcast has been brought to you by Free Range Podcasting. Let us take you where you and your podcast want to go.